Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me is a guy I've been really looking forward to talking with today. Actually, for a long time. We've set this up a while back, and I'm so glad that we made this work, Baird. His name is Baird Hall, and the dude has started several companies, all bootstrapped. Every part of it makes sense, and here's why I'm excited about talking to you, Baird. A lot of the people that I've gotten to interview lately are kind of, I don't know, it makes me feel almost like we're in late-stage tech startup where they've raised a boatload of money. They don't really have much at stake. They've created companies that are so massive from day one that you can't even get your hands around it, let alone really imagine yourself building it. And it takes all the fantasy and imagination out of it. And it makes the whole industry feel a lot like we are in I don't know, private equity. The more money you have, the bigger your customers, the more likely you are to succeed, and also the more likely you are to be less interesting to me and less, I don't know, revolutionary and more like let's move the ball a little bit forward, more evolutionary. And so, Baird, what I like about you is you've started several companies. We're going to talk about that one that didn't do so well. Um, What is it called? Talk.io, I think it was. Yep, you, no, you talk, you talk dot dot io. Yep. with the letter U, yep. <laughs> but we're also going to talk about the companies that kind of sprung out of it. You talk was kind of like a clubhouse for sports people. You created before clubhouse, virtually had no money in it. I'm going to keep saying virtually because if every time I say, what did you bootstrap? And you pause for a moment, and you think we'd have to be hundred percent accurate. We actually put in a thousand dollars each thousand dollars each is nothing. First of all. And second, that still is your, your money. You are in your co-founder. So it's bootstrapped anyway. So you did that. And then from there, you wanted to promote your your audio, and so you created Wave, which basically takes long-form audio, clips out small pieces of it, and makes it more shareable because there's an image and those little bars, the progress bars that people like on social. Anyway, you created that. You sold it to Com Capital. That's where I'd like to focus today, but I should say that you've gone on afterwards to say, you know, churn for companies like Wave where you depend on people to pay monthly, churn is a problem. I'm going to create churn key that basically helps reduce churn. And as a follow-up to Wave, you said, we need a way to actually have subtitles because I don't think Wave showed subtitles. It just allowed you to allowed creators like me to share clips of our audio with images. And you said, you know, subtitles are a big thing because a lot of people like to watch without their audio on. I'm going to create sub subtitle with a Z as a way of uh, enable them to create subtitles. We're going to talk about that, the revenue behind it, the business, what happened, what what worked, what didn't work. Anyway, all the stuff that you guys are used to expecting from me. We're going to do it thanks to two companies that you expect that I'm going to be talking about because I've been talking about them for a long time. The first, if you're hiring developers to build something like what Bear did, is uh, it's a company called Lemon.io. And if you go to Lemon.io slash Mixergy, you can hire developers from there who are phenomenal. And the second, when you're ready to do email marketing, and you should always be ready to do email marketing, I want you to go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy, but I'll talk about those later. First, Baird, good to have you here. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I've been uh, following your podcast <laughs> for years since, uh, I mean, you were definitely around when I started getting interested in uh, in this space, so thanks for having me. I'm shot out of a cannon about this. I've got to calm myself down whenever I get <laughs> super excited about a guest. Will you talk about what you sold Wave for? You put in $1,000 each, you and your co-founder. What did you get out of it? What's the exit? We, I think we can say kind of low to multiple seven figures. Uh, we scaled the business. We started it in 2016. And uh, we really timed it. Wait, let me pause there. Did you each get to put at least a million dollars in your bank? Um, the majority shareholders, yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's you and your co-founder with the majority shareholders. Yeah. 
even after taxes, you ended up with a million dollars so that you can go and build the next business? Uh, yeah, cl- around that ballpark. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, I want to walk through how the whole thing happened and then get into subtitle, which is you have a free version on subtitle. So I think a lot mm-hmm. of people will get to play with it immediately after this. And then, of course, if they want, they can expand beyond it. But let's go back. The whole idea for Wave started when you created You Talk back in two, 2016. Take me through what happened there for a moment, just as a backstory to Wave, this thing that became the big hit for you. So I was working for a, a local, actually bootstrap um, software company that was kind of a partner company of a huge public software company here. And um, I was a sales engineer and I was on calls all day. And the one break that I got was to run to lunch for an hour and I'd listen to sports radio. I was a big sports radio fan. And I've always had this, at the time, I didn't know why I wanted to start my own thing, but I've always had this kind of, I'm sure most of your listeners can resonate with just that gut feeling that you want to break off and do your own thing at some point. Um, and so my first idea was um, a an app that allowed you to record a minute to two minutes of uh, sports talk radio responses and actually send it back to the radio station where other listeners can hear your responses, kind of like a virtual social call-in um, app for uh, radio stations. And I convinced my wife's uh, best friend's husband, uh, Nick, who's been my co-founder for all these years, and convinced him to help me build it. And the next two years were a total fun disaster. We made every mistake. In the, <laughs> we made every mistake in the book. We built way too much product. We didn't validate any business models, but we had a blast. We got a lot of radio stations on board. We had a lot of podcasters that used it to interact with their audience. Um, it was kind of like, it was kind of like. Imagine like setting up a clubhouse for your podcast where your listeners can join in and drop audio messages. That was kind of the vision. But this was 2015 and investors wanted no part of this. And it was just we were way, way, way too early. You were doing this for about a year. I guess you were living off savings. Yep, I left my company and I spent a whole year just on savings uh, in my wife um, in my wife's salary. Uh, So it was like a year and a half. And then Nick, my co-founder, he he was a uh, he passed the bar, went to law school, and then decided not to go. He'll, he can tell you all about that sometime. Um, and, I'm going to interview him. Yeah, so yeah. he had um, he he's got a really uh, impressive story. But yeah, so we were both kind of running on fumes after a year and a half trying to get this thing off the ground, trying to get investments, and uh, we just never figured out the business side of it. But uh, luckily, while we were kind of winding that business down, and we we sold some of the tech. Uh, for parts to different different groups. Um, so I'd say we sold it for dimes on the dollar for all the time and money we spent into it. What do you mean? Like what's a part that a different company would want that they couldn't build themselves? Uh, we found a live streaming company that really wanted to support async audio within their platform. Um, and we had a pretty, we built 80% of what they were going to do. And so we sold it to them. Uh, we sold all the tech. We kept the brand, which is what became Wave. But we sold all of the IP uh, from the tech standpoint and um, with a services contract to basically set up exactly what we did in their environment. Um, Got it. Because they can't just take this piece of software and put it in like a Lego block. But if you've already built it, they're basically paying you to rebuild it for or them. connect it back into what they've got. Got it. Yep. Okay. Meanwhile, you needed to promote these what were you trying to promote actually? Was were you trying to promote the shows that were using you we were or were you trying no, to No, we were promoting things? the listeners of those shows that were submitting audio content to their the show's channel. So we had all these just uh-huh. really funny, awesome 
exciting listeners that were, you know, telling their story or giving their takes. Um, But we, we realized like, well, maybe if we take these clips from our um, social app and put it on social media, like Instagram or Facebook, we can start generating some interest and get those, um, get people to come join the conversation. That was really the strategy. So I'm not kidding. It was a weekend. Nick locked himself in a room and he built this MVP of this tool that takes an audio clip, combines it with images and animations and waveforms. It was really, really manual the way that we did it. Um, and we started promoting all these clips from our social app and nobody cared except for some podcasters that would see it and they would say like, I don't understand your app at all, but how'd you do that? How'd you take audio and put it on social media? And like the light light bulb went off. We're like, oh my gosh, we built something. We built a marketing tool that some people want. And uh, that's when we started making the shift um, and started building kind of the first MVP version of Wave and getting our first customers on board with that. The thing that's interesting about that period is that you knew to take it and make it its own brand instead of saying, this is just another part. We want everybody to come to this thing that we built. We had this vision. This is a small side thing. We'll use it to bring people back to this bigger vision. Why did you decide to make it its own uh, separate brand and give it its own separate identity? Well, we were we were spent for the most part from uh, both a money and an emotional standpoint because um, it had been really had been two years. It had been one year full time, like left our jobs. Um, and we had actually created this wave brand that we obviously wasn't going to work for the social platform, but, um, we really liked the colors and the logo and the name and all these things. So we decided to like, once we sold the tech, we said, well, we're going to keep the brand. They didn't want it anyway. Uh, and decided to just use that to kind of become the new brand of this marketing tool that we were going to release. Because from the beginning, you made this feature into a tool that had its own identity, its own website and everything. I see. Got it. So basically you talk had people submitting their questions and their comments for radio and podcasters. Mm -hmm. Wave would take some of those and then create social media out of it that was promoting or just being promoted through Wave. Got it. And so it was a natural break. Yep. Got it. And that became the winner. And in the beginning, I went back to Internet Archive. You had like a free version of it where people can try one design and then it went up from there, 10, 18, $30 with funny names like Alpha, Beta, Gamma. Yeah, we were playing on the radio radio wave um, play Ah, on words. That's what that is. (laughs) Okay. All right. And so then it seems like one way that you got early customers was by having people see what wave was promoting and saying, I want that too. And so you started reaching out to them. Do you remember the first customer you got? Yeah, it was actually a local podcast. It was a local business um, that I had met at a startup net networking event that had just started a podcast and they were really struggling to get listeners. And I said, Hey, I've actually, we just built this weird little thing for sharing audio. Do you want to try it? And they were all on board and basically they, they signed up for $10 a month and I was the one that actually used it for them. So like that was kind of the first way to test out our first customer. And then we, we actually just, I, I got our first 50 to 75 customers using cold email. Nick built this little scraping tool for me that I would go on Twitter. I would find somebody that was sharing an episode image of their podcast. And then um, I could take, he built this tool where I could take the link, go to this, scraping tool and pull their RSS feed and grab their email. And I just sent them an email that says, Hey, I saw you're promoting your podcast on social media and you posted an image. Have you ever thought about posting an actual clip? 
And if they, ah. if they bid it that, it was like the door was open for me. And I would say, well, like, hey, we just built this thing. It was a really great lead in. People would respond and say, I didn't know that was an option. Um, so the first 50 to 75 customers were, um, were cold email, kind of cold sales, which is really painful when it's $10 a month. I think it was actually like seven or nine to start. So that was painful. And then um, we started getting some word of mouth referrals from podcasters that would see that. And kind of going back to the magic of Wave and Subtitle, really the core of it has been helping users create something they're proud of that other people on social media ask them how they did it. And that has been our growth engine over all the years is building really awesome eye-catching video features for whether you're sharing audio on social media or video um, and and giving something that users are proud of. So that became like an early focus for us. And the more that users were sharing their content, the more other podcasters would see it and be like, oh, I need to do this so I can stand out. But I want it to look a little bit differently. Um, so that's kind of how we, I mean, that was, I, I'm, I'm taking a, probably a year and a half of learnings um, and, and jamming it into one little sentence. But that's kind of the origin the, story. The first version of it, it had an audio wave image or like this this moving audio wave on the picture it was a picture that they get to upload themselves it was an audio wave file that was moving i don't think the first audio wave file though was really in sync with the audio it was just like an eye-catchy movement right it was but early on they were they were um kind of the basic animations that most people were using were so bad that they didn't look like they were attached and that was something that there were some other competitors that were doing this at the time. And I think we were the first ones to make those animations look really good and perform it as the person was talking, um, which is something that separated us early on. Um, How did you do that? We used uh, from the technical side, it's a lot of FFmpeg, um, a lot of Node.js behind the scenes. I'm not the engineer, but um, my uh, Nick really just dove in and became an absolute expert on um Nick, the lawyer, is the guy who started coding this stuff yep. for you? Yep, and just taught himself video, you know, video generation on the web, which in 2015 was pretty early back. You know, there, there weren't a yeah. lot of video creative web apps at that point. Um, so we were definitely really early on. And then once, um, you know, from the technical standpoint, once the uh, serverless architecture from AWS came out and we learned how to use serverless, because it was always bottleneck from a performance standpoint, trying to run these big FFmpeg services within your web browser. So once we found the serverless architecture, uh, again, I'm not the technical expert, but I remember like once we got that working, we could really start moving, creating new types of animations, doing captions, really perform it really fast. And um, it was kind of, we were kind of, I, I think, one of the first ones to kind of hit on um, both of those fronts. Okay, I should say, anyone who needs a great developer, now that you can see the power of a great developer, someone who can figure things out, solve problems, and be creative, there's a place where you can go hire those people, Lemon.io. They specialize in them. Let them match you with the right person. Let them blow your mind. In fact, because they get them from Eastern Europe, the prices that you're going to pay for these amazing developers is lower than what you'd pay if you went elsewhere. Great developers, great price, fantastic people who will make sure to match you up. All you have to do is go to not just Lemon.io, but use my URL where they'll give you an even bigger discount on their already low prices, and they'll know that, that you're a friend of mine. Lemon.io slash Mixergy. Well, not a friend, a listener, but they'll take care because the founder is a friend of mine. Lemon.io slash Mixergy. I read this, the gr this great article from Com, the Com Cap Capital, excuse me, Com Capital, the company that bought your business, 
they said that a year later, like the the first year, I think you hit a thousand dollars monthly recurring revenue. A year later, you were ten thousand recurring revenue. That sounds like a good growth, but ten thousand monthly recurring revenue for two people means sixty thousand a person, and that doesn't even take into account any expenses. You were still living off of your savings, or did you go into credit cards at that point? No, we started consulting on the side. There's a local group. Um, a, a dev product shop here locally that we knew and um, Nick actually did engineering work for him and I jumped on board doing marketing branding project management so we'd spend we would spend our mornings working on our company and then we would spend afternoons contracting um, and working with clients and so that paid the bills for I guess that was probably the next year and a half or so as we were building wave um, I mean when we started this thing we were literally our goal was to pay our, like to have a passive income tool that could pay our mortgages and then once we hit, I remember 12K being an inflection point where I thought it was never going to grow beyond that. I almost quit. And then I almost quit at 20K again to where we're still not after expenses, not really like we're not hitting market rate salaries. What got you to each of those milestones and then what got you past them? Um, let's see. Our first big milestone was building a drag and drop interface for allowing users to design their waves as we would call them however they wanted that was again kind of going back to that learning that our customers were creatives that wanted to stand out and look like creatives on social media so we built this drag and drop editor that was a huge effort and um we actually launched it i was traveling and it just it was one of those things where you launched it and it just hit and users started coming back we had new users signing up and then people were telling other people about it and that's when I think that was about probably like the 12, 14K MRR mark. And that's what really took us to 20 and up to 30. Um, and, and and part of the way you got to that was anyone who used the free version was also logoed with Wave yep. so that they were basically promoting you for free. Yep, yeah, we've always had a free tier. Same with subtitles. It's a free tier where you can sign up and use it um, to a certain degree with um, – uh, a, you know, like a made by wave or made by subtitle logo on it. It kind of acts as a free trial, but then there are some users that they would rather, you know, just have the logo and share it. And then that kind of encourages uh, inbound growth for us. It allows us to keep our prices low um, and go for high volume with freemium inbound model and uh, really reach a wide, wider audience and converting you know, really the only seven to 10% of customers that, you know, want to want to have their custom branding set up, or they want to have premium animations and kind of ha have a higher level of, of one of the things that you did throughout was you were on indie hackers, and you just kept updating the community. So there's a post from May, May 1st, 2017, 1000 monthly recurring revenue, it took six months to hit a oh, thousand, uh, six months, there were times that I wanted to quit, but each month showed a little bit of growth. Then uh, a year later, April 1st, 2018, almost a year later, we hit 10,000 monthly recurring re revenue. Slow and steady wins the bootstrap race. Then, and this is largely word of mouth, you still reaching out to people and making improvements that do it. And what? And content marketing. We were really hard on blogging, um, inbound SEO. SEO, that's something you figured out. You were spending time trying to think about what we need to write about. Yep. Yeah, we wrote a blog post every two weeks for four and a half years. 
what type of content worked back then? And how'd you know? You know, at that time, everything podcasters, podcasting was just starting to boom and they wanted every little tip and information possible where they can host their content, the best ways to edit their content, how to share it on social media, how to interview people properly. It was really interesting. Um, sound design. I mean, we wrote about anything and everything that podcasters were trying to learn about because um, most podcasters, it, it, what we found at, at our market level was um, very DIY focused. So they really wanted as much help as they could get. And we um, just grew a big audience on our blog writing content. How is it, considering how much you care about audio, that you don't have one of these professional mics that I see people who are all working from home have? <laughs> it's so bad. Same, Yeah, same thing with audio and video that I still haven't bought a big microphone. The problem is I don't have like a studio or any way to put it. I still work at our kitchen table. I can't believe that you still work at the kitchen table. That would be so distracting for me. I know. We're building a new house, and um, it's hopefully going to be done. The Where next do you live? Months, what city? I'll have my own office. Uh, Charleston, okay. South Carolina. Place. I um. Yep. I kind of like that you don't have a good mic. Here's why. I want you to just keep improving audio. I don't know the software that improves everyone else's sound. So let Apple fix earphones, and then bring the rest of the. Or excuse me. Let Apple fix earphones with mics in them, so the rest of the industry will keep moving forward and have you improve the way that that subtitle and i want subtitle to just keep adding all kinds of tools in it for improving audio uh after it's edited i'm looking at you you don't seem interested in doing that you just want to do transcripts and let other people worry about the sound uh no i, li I like that we've definitely got some um we, yeah we like the transcription angle um that's, no, that's an interesting thought yeah finding ways to optimize audio so it's less about the microphone that's i like that all right and then the next year it's Nick who comes back to Indie Hackers, and his update is, our old duct tape backend got us over 1,000 customers before we hit scaling issues. Servers started running out of memory. The job queue would get backed up, and customers were waiting longer and longer for videos to finish. This was something we put off for as long as we could. We spent two months rewriting our entire backend, and now we're ready to start seeing the benefits. Our AW bill decreased by more than 50%. Video wait times dropped by several minutes. And the system is much more robust with increased logging visibility and retry logic. So you're basically at this point improving software for your users. Why? How did you know that that's what you should spend time on instead of finding new ways to bring in new customers? Well, that was kind of the problem is that we were getting really good at bringing on new customers, but our inbound funnel was all set up on website visits that moved to free trial signups and almost 90, I think it's like 94% of users upload a video before they would buy a plan. Even if they knew like, oh, this is what I want. They would never subscribe right. first because they were given a free video. But that free video, if it wasn't snappy and moving along quickly, like, you know, these are users that are coming off of a blog post or a social media post. They don't have 30 minutes to, you know, sit there and wait for something to happen. They're signing up, they're experimenting, and they want feedback very quickly. So it was when we saw our conversion funnel dropping and our uh, video wait time increasing is when we realized the correlation that, you know, these users are looking for quick wins and we need to make this thing as snappy as possible. And it was a huge effort again um, to Nick and we had brought on Rob at this point, who is our, um, th our third partner and they really just knocked it out of the park. And once those videos started happening in seconds, our, our inbound funnel started clicking a lot better. Rob went through the critical product decisions, implementing amazing animations to video 
to the videos. This was, and then he became a partner. I'm just kind of reading off of an article that was written about the yep. sale. Um, all right, I could see that. Did you though have customer calls to understand that this is what was going on? Did you talk to people who tried the software for free and never returned? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We talked to even still with subtitle. Our inbound chat support cases are, you know, over two hundred a, a month. Um, people, you know, these customers when they hit our website, a lot of them want help. They want, you know, they have feedback. They have direction. Creators are very passionate, which is why I've had so much fun, you know, building products for them. They, they, you know, they have a lot of strong desires and um, opinions. So they tell us all about it and. We would also get on user, you know, we would definitely have user calls where we would get on a screen share and walk through certain things um, and do user surveys as well to try and collect some data to help make decisions. Um, those are kind of the three major ways that we would communicate with our early users. I see. So it wasn't like you would find people who dropped out and left. They would find you in the chat mm -hmm. and you would start to see what's going on with them. And would you, yeah. would you occasionally say, let's get on a call and I'll see if I could work this out? I guess that's what you were saying when you said yeah. screen sharing. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes we would hop on a call because, you know, to really understand what they're trying to you know get to the heart of. But, you know, the pop up chats have always kind of caught in a bad rap over the years. But in my opinion, it's I mean, that is what opinionated, passionate users like that's how they want to talk to you. Like they want to get on and give you quick feedback. I know the you know, that's probably a small percentage, but those are the percentage I care about because they're the ones that are trying to pay. And, right you know, really have it, have a big win. So the, we still, even at subtitle, we still use intercom, um, as our prime primary communication method. I was trying to go into your site right now to see if I could send a message and see who it went to, but it's a little too much to do while we're on a call. Uh, then six months later, he comes back in and he says, we doubled our revenue in six months. The new video infrastructure were part, was part of this by video. You're basically, he doesn't mean video of the podcaster and her guest. He means video which is the animation of what the text is correct it's basically the yeah the video that was generated from the audio basically okay and then at some point i'm just i'm not even seeing it here yet oh there we go it is here at some point 2020 you hit a million in arr what what changed about the business that allowed you to get there to a million in annual recurring revenue honestly i think at that point it was just all of the things that we've talked about coming together and finally understanding them and just putting, you know, those practices into place, you know, good onboarding features that allowed users to, to create beautiful videos that really stood out from, from the crowd and then having a very performant architecture and the combination of all that with content marketing and our inbound funnel all kind of just came together and really started working. And, um, it, it, it probably was working for about a year and a half until we started hitting, um, that was a million ARR. And I think we got up to 1.4 at its highest. 1.5, I see, uh, September of 2020, which makes me wonder why sell it when the thing did it. But here's, here's some of what I saw that did it. Running a lot of growth experiments. So you were constantly testing things. Anything, by the way, in growth experiments that worked before I went into the, the next bullet point? Anything that was especially crazy standing out? Um. Not that I can think of, but it was so long ago. I mean, I feel like Instagram Reels had just come out and TikTok was like kind of starting to become a thing. And so we're always testing these new platforms and 
having to make sure that we were building features as these new platforms came out. Like I remember Facebook Live had a, a, an eight month period where it was all anything everybody wanted to talk about. So we always constantly had to be staying on top of these social trends and making sure that we had features and blog posts to go along and kind of like dovetail on those. When Instagram releases something new, we want six blog posts that says, here's How'd you know what problems people had that you would need to either add features to your software to accommodate or write it was articles a lot, about? To be honest, though, it was a lot of, um, the, the problem was always the same. It was, how do I take my podcast audio and get it to X? So when a new X, Y, or Z would come out, we would just have to be. So you'd always know we need to find a way to get the podcaster's yeah. audio in X. Facebook Live, though, is not a place where you can take someone's podcast no, and put that was it actually, on there, can No, you? that was actually a bad That's example. Wave? That was one no. where people wanted to, they wanted to rip their audio yeah. from Facebook Live and then put it into Wave. Probably a better example would be like when Instagram TV came out, um, where all of a sudden we have to have all of our features work for vertical videos. That was a bit, and then be on top of like, hey, podcasters, here's how you use vertical videos to grow. Here's where you can share vertical videos and how you should format them. And there was all these little details ah. around, you know, this specific aspect ratio that now has to be accounted for and making sure that we were like ready to pounce on these new trends when they came out and then accommodate what we already do well to those. Okay. And then that brings me to number two. First one was running a big collection of growth experiments. The second is, you were riding a wave of growth, both in podcasting, which was growing, and there were more and more podcasters out there, and in social, that social was looking for more movement, where it started with text and moved on to pictures. Once it got to video, it went almost all in on video, and you needed to take people's audio and put it in these channels, and you were set to do that. Yep. Yeah, I think right? we were in, you know, kind of in the right place at the okay. right time to, to a certain degree for sure. So then the next thing was you tested out different pricing. And if I go through Internet Archive over the years, I could see that this, what I didn't find the $8 a month, but what was an $8 or $10 a month plan started to give way to lots of different variations, lots of different tests, which I think is something that we tend not to test because there's a sense that if we test the price and someone got a different price, they're going to be upset with us. So how did you test it without losing these customers that you we so uh, we have to. always grandfathered existing customers into their existing plan. But if you're trying a lower price, can you really do you then give it to people who we've actually never tested price? lower prices? We only test upwards, and if it doesn't work, we just scrap it and go back to what we had. Um, so we're always testing up market. Rarely now, I, I will with one caveat: we have released lower plans that are cheaper but they have different feature sets uh, or, or different usage models to where like somebody that would need a higher plan wouldn't even need it. And in that case, there are situations where maybe somebody's paying more than they had to, and then they get to downgrade to this better fit, which to be honest, you know, even though we're losing a little revenue, we might be holding, the, we might be holding that customer for a longer period of time for a higher LTV. I see. So, the the pricing experiments it seems to me also it wasn't a lot of pricing experiments on the low end it was more yeah. on the high end how high can you make what i what used to be called what i guess gamma but eventually became the pro yeah. plan and then you're not just tweaking prices you're also tweaking mm -hmm. features so it's hard to make an apples to apples comparison and if someone says i want the lower price but i'm willing to sacrifice features good for them happy to, to oblige all right 
Um, is there something else here in my notes? Uh, let's go back to this indie article, hackers article, um, reducing churn. But uh, part of it was letting customers pause their plans. I was I just used a software that I I realized we hadn't. Sorry, we had the software that we hadn't really used in years. I went to cancel it, and the the service said, "Do you want to pause?" And I thought, well. Maybe we should pause it because I might need it. And if we pause it and we see that we're suffering, then we could always come back. I don't know that that the pause has been over, but I think at some point it'll end and I've got to make sure to stay on top of it and come back in and decide, do we want to go in or not? Regardless of which way we go, they did not lose us. They gave us another opportunity to re-examine our relationship with them. Pausing is really big. But as the guy now who's all in turnkey or one of your businesses is turnkey, which helps reduce churn. Talk about some of the things that you learned about reducing churn at Wave. And we'll save Nick. He's going to come on here and do an interview about Churnkey. We'll save him to go in more detail of what's new today. But at Wave, beyond the pause, what else helped you reduce churn? Let's see. Um, maybe to back up a little bit, kind of the kind of let people in on the magic moment of churn for us. So uh, both Wave and Subtitle, very high volume businesses, both over a million ARR. Lots, we're talking 200 new users a day come in. Um, and churn between seven and upwards of 11% when it was at our worst case. So 11% on a million ARR is alarming. And you're basically turning over your customer base every like 14 months. Uh, the math, math probably needs to be checked on that, but it's pretty close. Um, so churn became our number one enemy for a full year of how do we get every percentage point of churn that comes down, our valuation goes up drastically. So um, we tried all kinds of things. We hired consultants. Um, that rewrote all of our emails and onboarding and, um, you know, seg we tried to segment our users into different ways, which a lot of that was very valuable. Um, and we, uh, you know, Churn has a close correlation with pricing so that a lot of those pricing tests were designed to try and find better fits for to lower Churn and have customers leaving less. But our magic moment was when we realized that when we had, you know, 80 to 100 customers a month that were canceling, it turns out about 85% of them actually wanted to cancel. And there's this like 15 to 20% of people that they don't actually want to cancel. There's just something that's not right with our arrangement that needs to be tweaked. It could be, I just need a couple months off because my podcast is on a break. It could be my business is just, you know, we're having a bad month and I'm out here cutting costs and you all were first on the chopping block. Well, what if we gave you a discount for a month because we value you as a customer, you value our product, and we understand their circumstances. How about 50% for two months? Would you come back? Um, or it could be uh, technical support was another thing that we found was some people were canceling because they needed this feature to do something a little bit different. And it really just needed a conversation to say, oh, you're pressing the wrong button. Go over here, change the setting, and then they're safe. So we found that there's this big portion of customers that are canceling that they really just need to reframe their arrangement in some way. And that's when we started using the cancellation flow to run lots of experiments around how, how can we grab this person? Now, eight out of 10 customers that are canceling for us, there's no chance to save them. So we just let them cancel. Not a big deal. We're not going to save you anyway. But we're going to hit you with a little survey to figure out, hey, are you in this percent of users that don't want to cancel? And then based on what you selected, let's try to give an offer or some type of help or assistance. Um, Baird, how did you know that it was that it was 15 who didn't want to cancel? Uh, lots of testing. 
figuring out that, um, you know, there's a certain percentage of customers that, you know, it wasn't until we started providing offers like pausing and discounts and technical support. We did these all very manually. We'd hard code them into the cancellation flow and test them and uh, change the offers around. There's a lot of work on Nick's part to, you know, manually try all these different um, cancellation flows and options. But we just... But let's say somebody says, I'm going to mm-hmm. pause. How did you know that the reason they wanted to pause was they're just taking a, a pause from their podcast for a couple we, of months this, or that they're having a hard the month? The survey was always part of that. The first thing that we always presented was a survey with different options. And we would change those options over time because um, we've we found out for the most part, most users when they're canceling will just say like, I don't have any money, I'm quitting. But if you take that option away and make them actually like get more specific about what's happening, uh, that's when we, that's when we started learning like, oh, this person just didn't do a podcast this month. They don't, they don't dislike our product or not like us. They just don't have a video to create. So let's just let them take off a month and let them come back. Okay, I should say, anyone who needs to do email marketing should check out my sponsor. It's called Send In Blue and Baird. One of the best things about Send In Blue is that they have all the features that email marketers need. And frankly, everyone should be an email marketer. As much as I hate to say it, email is still working for marketing. It's still working for bringing people back. It's still working for teaching people about your business. Anyway, but it doesn't work if you send people the same dumb messages over and over again. You need to actually have some kind of automation that takes into account what they've done before, that takes into account where you think they're going and what you think they need, and that's where Send in Blue comes in. They allow you to create a full customer journey via email based on what people have done, based on what they need, and that means that if somebody's not interested in one aspect of your business, you're not promoting that to them, but you can promote another. In addition to that, they also do chat marketing, they do SMS, they do so many different things all in one. And the beauty of this is, yes, they have all these features, but also they have a price that starts out reasonable and stays reasonable. Unlike other email marketing companies that start out almost free and then guess what? They spike up once they get you and you can't move out because it's a pain to move your email list. If you want to check them out, and I really urge you to do to do it, go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Sendinblue.com slash M-I-X-E-R-G-Y. When you do, you'll get a discount on their already low prices. And I know that people are getting it because I just got a message from someone saying, hey, it looks like this offer expired. And it did, but Sendinblue reactivated it. So if you want that discount, go for a limited time. It's available still at sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. All right. Why did you decide to sell then? Everything seems to be going well. You got this thing that you wanted to create your, your monthly mortgage payment. You're in. Yeah, it's a good question. We spent a lot of time thinking about it. And what we came down to at our core was that over the years, we have found out that we're really, really good at, or at least, at least myself, I'm really good at creating these businesses and you know getting them off the ground and like getting that initial wave of growth going. But um, once the business gets to a point where the, you really need a scientific operator um, and manager of multiple people, that's where my skill set doesn't really shine, and that's really where Wave became. When, you know, once you realize that. You know, a quarter of a percent conversion rate is a different, makes a huge difference in the next quarter's revenue. That's when I'm, you know, I start becoming less effective because it be, we, you really need somebody scientific, somebody really product oriented that can come in and um, operate at a higher level rather than, you know, just wanting to be an artist and wants to create some new flashy feature and um, talk about it. So, that's kind of where we were. And, um, I had started subtitle, which was also starting to grow, uh, which was just focused on the video captioning. And then this churn solution that we had talked about, we realized it worked so well that we pulled it out and 
started our own, started another company with that its own product to help other SaaS companies um, build better cancellation flows, which that's turned into a, a huge, awesome churn solution, which I'm sure Nick can talk to you about sometime. Uh, but anyway, we just had a lot going on and Wave was a really good win. And it was also, to be totally honest, when you look at that company's valuation and you compare it to your personal finances and realize that it's taking up a huge majority of your net worth, the risk all of a sudden, you know, right. it's like, well, what happens if we make a bad decision or, you know, we change the product around? And we were almost like that fact alone was kind of, there was like this inherent fear that we were going to screw it up. So we had a hard time like experimenting and doing new big features and new initiatives. Um, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think we had just kind of got to a point where it felt like we needed to take that win and we have other things to work on. So let's, you know, let's get some new experienced operators on board and, um, and you know, sell it and move on to our other ventures. All right. So one of them is subtitle. Yep. Why didn't you fold that into wave? How did you know we're going to create this as its own business? Oh gosh, that's a good question. It's, it does. It takes people's videos, it adds subtitles and then it makes them look good with the progress bars, with different, uh, uh, video sizes with logo and other stuff. That yeah. Can so add the on. story on that's uh, kind of interesting because we, uh, I wanted to, uh, and at the time, the reason we built subtitles because we had all these wave customers asking us to do video captions, which was not a common thing back then. You know, this was really when they were starting to become popular and there weren't many solutions out there for it. And every time we spec'd out the project, it was going to be 50, 70, 80 K to build this video captioning, engine for for wave because the tech just wasn't really there yet and it was going to be a big big effort so my thought was well what if we can you know build it as a standalone product that any video creator can use and then we'll integrate it with wave and it will just do that it'll support that for wave and we decided that was the right way to do it because it would de-risk on both sides uh, it could at least exist as its own product and also not just be some expensive feature for wave but at the time nick had started a crypto uh help he was a founding engineer at a crypto company so he couldn't break off and start this new one with me so i had to go find uh, it's actually one of his friends was my became my co-founder and cto and we built this separate company that supported ways video capturing so it's kind of complicated how it all worked but at the time it made sense to have them as separate brands and separate products okay it feels almost like you kind of knew you were going to leave into a different business, right? That you were going to sell Wave and then wanted to hold on to this. Am I right? No, it was just that at the time, Nick didn't have any time to build it into Wave or build it as okay. a... And so because I was bringing on another product, another equity owner that didn't need to become an equity owner of Wave, so okay. we had to start a separate entity to, to build it there and then just integrate it back to Wave. Um, we've actually done this with a couple other products with, we built a, um, audio to blog post creator tool that we did the same. We would kind of spin out these side products to see if they work. And, you know, if they don't work, we can easily just kind of kill it off and it, it has no, no harm or no foul to wave. What's a project that you, you know what? I'm going to ask Nick that about a project cause he's going to come here and do an interview. I'm curious about what, what you tried that didn't work with subtitle. One of the things that comes to mind is 
Facebook is already integrating it into like Instagram and other tools seem to be integrating uh, captions. I don't like their tools because it means you can't correct the text easily. It, there's a there's some restrictions for it, but they seem like they keep adding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, well, every time I see those features, I'm always, you know, typical business owner. I'm like, oh, here we go. The end's coming. We're, right, you know, right. Facebook's going to squash us. It happens all, and finally, I think I'm finally over that over six years of watching headlines. Um, but um, yeah, they do keep, they keep iterating and um, creating new caption animation styles. But the two things that have always saved us from that has been one, the customization aspect that we work with what we call prosumers. They're aspiring entrepreneurs or they're coaches, consultants um, that are you know using content to, to grow their business uh, or get their business off the ground. And they want to differentiate from regular other not just normal consumers using social media so they want to use their brand they want to use their logo there's always these little tweaks that they want to have that make it look like their video rather than using the same feature that everybody else does um, so our goal is always to be a step ahead of those features and include customization so that those users that are you know really trying to sell something or grow their business um, you, you know are incentivized to want to go above and beyond what the basic Instagram captioning provides. Where are you getting customers And the interface really isn't that great either. No, it's, it's quick. It's designed to be a really quick thing to, to work, not exactly something that, um, that lets you do customization and work on your own, your own product. Um, where's the revenue now with subtitle? We're at 96, K MRR. Um, Get out of here. Right. Yeah. And it, well, that it was up, it was up to 118. Um, we tripled since the COVID lockdowns happened in March, 2020. Mm-hmm. We were at 40 K when that happened. Thought, you know, we didn't know what the world was going to turn into at that point. Um, but we wound up tripling the business to just under 120. And as you can, as you can tell from this interview, I bounce around and I do a lot of different things and I neglected subtitle for a full year uh, while it was growing and uh, our competitors were all raising money to go after the same space, and we fell behind. So we're down 20% from our all-time high. And uh, January of this year, we had to, you know, have a come-to-Jesus moment with the team and really decided that's um, I had to focus on subtitle for, you know, a full calendar year. And it's been our first remodeling of a business. I mean, we have changed everything, front-end, back-end, uh, website, marketing personnel, uh, really everything but our support person and our positioning has changed. Uh, so that's really been this whole year is getting it back to on par with some of our competitors. I find that one of the things that there, there are a lot of competitors, but they're not all dependable. And then a lot of them just have a lot of features and a lot of a lot of everything, which kind of slows you down. I was telling you about one that does a desktop app, and the problem that I have with it is I can't use a single other thing, even on my new Mac M2 uh, computer. I can't run anything. Yeah, I think it's a good lesson. Again, like as a young entrepreneur, when I would see competitors, especially ones that are more funded and have more features than us, I would just be nervous. I'd be like, they're going to kill us. How are we ever going to compete with them? But what I've found over the years is that the world and the most markets are way, way bigger than you think. And there are people that don't want to use heavy, big competitors, feature-rich solutions. They just want things done quickly, uh, or they may want it cheaper. 
or they may want, you know, a different spin on the business model. Like there's so many different ways to do it. And you don't have to beat these big competitors. You just have to find your corner of the room and execute that corner really well and then defend against it. And that's kind of what we've always done as opposed to playing the, okay, well, let's raise as much money they did as they did and try to like land grab more. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to do it and, you know, wrong or right, or, you know, who, who knows if, you know, we've made the perfect decisions. Obviously I'm sure we haven't, but that's kind of been our approach. All right. And one of the things that you were telling me before you got, before we got started was you're thinking longer term, look, this thing, this subtitle is working. It's got its customers. It's got room for growth. Now you're thinking maybe you want to bring somebody in who can be the operator, who can work with you where you don't have to spend day in and day out on the mechanics of growing. You can think bigger vision envision, and then maybe even take on a third project or a fourth. Yeah. We, again, we're kind of hitting that spot where we did with wave where, you know, it's, it, it's becoming, um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, um, not even that many, but just enough moving parts to keep you from working on new creative projects, which is where I'm just always going to naturally gravitate towards. Um, and, it, you know, it's that tricky question of, you know, how does, how does the subtitle get the right people or the right resources into the business that it needs to grow? And if that's not us, what does that look like? So, you know, everything from bringing on uh, new operators to selling it or um, I've, recently been learning about growth equity firms that actually kind of do this. They'll come in and, you know, invest in your company and bring an operating team with it and you can stay on in certain capacities. So there's a, a lot of different ways to do it. And that's going to be, you know, I think we've got a, a good six to eight month roadmap, six to 12 month roadmap that we need to execute on. And then it'll be trying to figure out what next, what is next for the company, which is always, you know, a big topic and um, takes a lot of time. So, What's a good way for people to connect with you? I know that you sold your company to somebody who reached out to you with a cold email. Is email the best way? Is Twitter the best way? What's a good way to connect? Um, yeah, if it's company specific, um, you know, Baird at subtitle.com um, is a good way to reach me. LinkedIn and Twitter are definitely the two platforms that I'm hanging out on most. I don't really post a lot, but um, I am there kind of interacting a little bit and hanging in the background. Cool. And Twitter is the way the two of us connected. We yep. scheduled this whole thing, I think, via Twitter direct messaging. Yep. Thanks for being on here. The website for anyone who's been curious about it, what he's working on right now is Zubtitle. It's like subtitle, but with a Z. Zubtitle.com. Beautiful site. Congratulations on all the success, Baird. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me.